we're continuing our series on Jacob. And Jacob was one of those people in the Bible that I think we all, we all somewhere in your family, you got a Jacob. You got somebody in your family that you don't quite trust completely. You got somebody that you, you love them and they are able to come to your house, but you're not going to leave your house and leave them there. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, y'all, we leaving. Okay, I'm going to stay here. No, no, you come too. <laughs> no, you ain't staying in my house by yourself. That's how stuff end up missing. You know, one of them folks that your kids love them, but you like, yeah, but you can't babysit. Because they're going to learn some stuff that I don't want them to know about yet because uh, you don't have no filter. You know, a Jacob, somebody that's pulling tricks and scheming and doing crazy stuff and one of them people that you love, but you uh, don't trust you like that. And if you don't know who the Jacob in your family is, maybe that's because you are that person. I don't know. <laughs> maybe everybody else look at you like that. If you find yourself always getting invited to leave when everybody else leaves, you are that person. <laughs> so I want to start with Genesis. Uh, we have Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 through 28, and we'll take our text from there. And during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. And after taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Amen. Now, if you don't know the whole backstory, I'm going to give you the Jangles Cliff Note version. Jacob is born, and even in his birth, his name comes from how he was in the womb. This brother was a twin. And he didn't come first. His brother Esau actually did. And Jacob, being slick like he is, said, hey, I'm not going to fight my way out of this. Uh, you go ahead and go first, and I'll just grab your foot and let you pull me on out. Because Jacob was all about doing the least amount of work possible for the most amount of impact. And if I can get you to do more than me, but I can still have the same amount or more than you have, I will take it. So Jacob is given his name, which literally means heel grabber, supplanter, trickster, schemer, all of the things you typically don't want to be named after, but this is the name that he's given based on his actions in being born. Jacob continues to honor that name by tricking his father into giving him the firstborn birthright. So it was supposed to go to Esau. Jacob and his bogus mama find out when this is supposed to go down. And mama, who Jacob got a lot of his ways from, some of y'all better be careful following everything your parents do. His mama says, hey, they're going to give him the birthright today and you can get it. But you got to trick your daddy. See, Esau, the big, burly, hairy man. Jacob, not so much. <laughs> Jacob used Nair. <laughs> Jacob's one of them folks that shaved all of the hair off his arm. He wanted just wasn't, that wasn't what he was about. He was about cooking and hanging out in the house. So Jacob and his mama got some animal skins 
and duct taped them all over his body. And he went into his dad, who is old and can't really see that well, and said, I am Esau, and I'm here for my birthright. Isaac ends up blessing Jacob because he felt his arms and felt the hair. And he was like, kind of sound like Jacob, but he feel like Esau, so I'm going to go ahead and bless him. Jacob tricks Isaac into giving him what was rightfully Esau's. And his brother, this big, burly outdoorsman that kills stuff for fun, says, oh, okay. Well, daddy is getting close to dying, so I'll wait. But after he gone, I'm killing you. Well, Jacob and his mama get together again for another meeting. This meeting looks a little different. It's like, you got to get out of here. <laughs> Your brother going to kill you. You got to go. And Jacob leaves and he is on the run for a long time. We know that at least 20 years have passed because he worked seven years for his wife, Rachel. He worked another, technically got tricked. See, this is what happened when you reap what you sow. He tricked all his family and then went to stay with some family and then they tricked him. He worked seven years to get his wife, Rachel. This is how, quit drinking. Don't be getting drunk. <laughs> Jacob had a really good time at his wedding. Got a little toasted. Went to sleep with his wife. Woke up the next day and realized it wasn't Rachel. They had switched the women and gave him Leah instead. Now the Bible says Leah was tender-eyed. <laughs> uh, tender-eyed, cross-eyed. Uh, something was wrong with one of her eyes. One of them was looking everywhere but at him. Jacob had the problem with this, obviously, because he tried to figure out who she's looking at. And he's like, what is happening? You are not the one I picked. He ends up having to work another seven years to get the woman he actually wanted. Fourteen years. Then the Bible tells us that he worked at least another six. Tending the flock and getting all of the stuff together for him to have his own before he left. So this is at least 20 years have gone by. God gets a hold of Jacob. He tells him, I'm going to protect you. I've seen what you've done. I've seen what you've gone through. I'm going to use you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I want you to return back home. Uh-oh. <laughs> Jacob was like, back home? Uh, there's this big, burly outdoorsman out there that's trying to rearrange my face back home. God says, I'm going to protect you and bring you back. So Jacob is on his way back home, and he sends some servants ahead to go talk to Esau to try to figure out what kind of mood is this man in before I bring all of my family back. His servants return and they're like, we met your brother Esau. He seemed happy to know that you're coming. Which would make Jacob feel real good. And they said, he's on his way to meet you. And Jacob, I can feel his heart starting to get bigger like maybe this is going to work out. And they said, but he's bringing 400 armed men with him. <laughs> Can you see Jacob like, oh, my God, no. 400 armed men. Jacob's not a military man. Jacob don't fight for a living. Jacob has his wife. He has his children. He has his servants. He's got all of these animals and his produce and all these things. And he goes back to God praying a prayer for protection, praying to be kept. Now, at the beginning of this passage, since I've caught you up in chapter 32, 
He's crossing over the river that's bringing him back into the place where Esau lives, back into the homeland that he grew up in. He sends his wife and his, his wives and kids and everything across the river. He comes back and sends all of his possessions. And now Jacob is by himself with nothing but his thoughts and the idea that all that I have could be gone within the next few days. I want to start out even with this passage by helping you understand that there is a big difference between isolation and going into seclusion. See, a lot of times we get into desperate situations and we isolate ourselves. We pull away from everything. We pull away from everybody, anybody that could be of help. We don't want that. We don't want you to be around. We isolate. And can I tell you something? That is a trick of the enemy. Satan's number one goal is to get you by yourself and make you think you're on your own so that he can destroy you. 100%. Isolation is something that's typically done to you. It's because of things that have happened. It's because of things that were not within your control. It's because you're either trying to insulate yourself from harm or someone is insulating you from harming someone else. We see this in the prison system. It's called solitary confinement, where they take you out of general population and they put you in a eight by eight foot cell all day and you get one hour to come out to do everything you need to do. Well, we know that isolation, such as solitary confinement, has a lot of negative effects on the mental psyche. It drives some people crazy. See, we were made for community. We were made for fellowship. We were made for interaction with other people. So when you get isolated, it plays tricks on your mind. It causes you not to rationalize well. You're not able to think through things the way you should, and you will have actions and behaviors that don't line up with who you were actually created to be. In isolation. Don't get isolated. Don't go into isolation. The alternative is what I believe Jacob does here is called going into seclusion. See, seclusion is something that you do purposely. Seclusion is with a plan. Seclusion says, I'm going to get away from everything that could be a distraction. Because I need to plan for what's coming. I need to get ready for what I'm about to do. I need to hear from somebody, specifically in Jacob's case, I need to hear from God on what my next steps are. I need to sit here and get my mind right. Maybe we've ever said that. I just need to get my mind right for a couple of days. I'm going to go away. You tell your family, hey, I'm going to go away for a little bit, just like a day or two, because I need to hear from God. I need to get my thoughts together. Well, see, going into seclusion implies I'm coming back. <laughs> Isolation many times is a one-way trip. So in seclusion, we see this where Jesus did this all the time. Jesus wasn't isolating himself from his disciples. He was saying, you guys go on ahead. I need to pray. I need to go up to the mountains. I need to go to these hills. I need to hear from my father. I need to rest. I need to restore my energy. I need to get ready for what I have to do next. Seclusion looks very different than isolation. Be careful. Be careful. So Jacob here in seclusion is seeking what God would want him to do in this situation. Now, what I love about God 
is that whether you're in isolation or you're in seclusion, he still knows where you are. And that should be reassuring. He still knows where I'm at. God will walk into your situation here in the Bible. It says that when Jacob was alone, a man showed up. Sometimes God needs to get you alone. He needs to talk to you. He needs to be able to spend some time with you without the distractions. Without your kids calling your name, without your wife or your husband asking you to do some other things. He needs to get you by yourself. And those of us who are smart go into seclusion on a regular basis to hear from God. Some of you go into seclusion in the morning when you wake up. You go with your Bible and you sit down somewhere in seclusion because, God, I want to start my day off with you. Some of you go into seclusion and you go on retreats or you do other things because I want to spend some time with you. Maybe your seclusion looks like going down to the lakefront and just sitting and looking at nature. Whatever that is, don't go into isolation Go into seclusion. Seclusion implies I'm waiting for something. Isolation implies I've given up. Seclusion is about being alone. Isolation is about being lonely. Two very different things. They look very similar, but the outcomes are very different. In isolation, God will absolutely show up and tell you that I'm here for you. I'm here to help you. Just give me your life. I will make this different. He will do that because he knows where you are. But the times when we see in the Bible where people have gone into seclusion, he doesn't just show up and say, I'm here for you. He shows up with something you can use for your next step. He told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait in that upper room until I send you a comforter. Seclusion. Wait on me. I've got something for you. We should be seeking out God for what he has for us. Because when he arrives, whatever that thing is, it's going to make all the difference as you move forward. See, in spite of everything that Jacob has done, now let me help you understand. So Jacob did pray. Yes, he did. He prayed. He asked God for protection. He asked God to help him out. But Jacob is still in his flesh. <laughs> Jacob has set up two new tricks just in case this prayer don't work. Anybody here ever pray a prayer, but also set some things up just in case? <laughs> God, I believe you hear me, but in case you happen to not be listening right now, <laughs> I got to come out this on top one way or the other. So uh, I would prefer if you did it, but if you don't, plan B is in effect. <laughs> and God ain't got nothing to do with your plan B. He didn't tell you to have a plan B. He didn't tell you to go do nothing with a B, nothing. He didn't tell you nothing to do, nothing. Come on. He said, let him be. <laughs> so Jacob, check out the two things he did, because this is slick and it's foul at the same time. Jacob says, my brother Esau is on the way with 400 armed men. Okay, I got to figure this out. Jesus, please help me. But in case you don't, here's what we're going to do, y'all. He sets up five humongous gifts. He separates them into groupings. So back then, gifts would have been types of animals. Hey, I'm going to send a herd of sheep on day one. On day three, I'm going to send a herd of cattle. I'm going to send a herd of oxen on day five. Like he's planning this out and he starts sending them out. 
His mindset, but trick number one is, well, when the sheep arrive, depending on how mad Esau is, he may look at it and be like, oh, well, instead of being at a 10, now he at an 8. Well, then two days later, all of these camels going to arrive. And he's like, man, this brother's like helping me out. So now he's down to a 6. So he's like, I'm going I'm to I'm wear him down. The alternative, though, is, hey, if Esau don't want sheep and he kill everybody in that grouping, somebody is going to know in one of the other groups and come back and tell me, hey, Esau killing everybody, and then I can run. His second trick, he takes his family. Y'all, his family. He splits them into two groups, and he says if Esau catches one of them and attacks them, maybe the other one can get away. You going to use your family as bait? But he prayed first. <laughs> Anybody ever have problems with your spirit and your flesh ain't quite in agreement? <laughs> your spirit is like, Jesus really can handle this. And your flesh is like, yeah, but just in case, we need to have a backup. <laughs> so Jacob, at the end of the day, though, you notice he has not offered to go with none of the groupings. Because Jacob is like, if anybody come out of this alive, it's going to be me. <laughs> He sends his family and everybody else, y'all go on across the river. I'm going to stay here. <laughs> he just set some stuff in motion. He really has. And because God knows where he is, God also knows what he's done. He knows this crooked behavior that's going on behind the scenes. And you know what's crazy about God? He visits him anyway. I'm so glad I serve a God who will visit me anyway in my mess as I'm making bad decisions, as I'm making mistakes, as I've missed his will, as I'm doing things according to a plan that's not his, but that's definitely mine. God will visit me anyway. Hallelujah. That God will show up and spend time with you when you know you don't deserve it. You all, I've had some situations where I had to be first. I was face down on the floor crying because I was completely at the end of my ability to, to cope. And we got a lot of officials that'll tell you, I'm here for you. We'll help you. We'll spend time with you. If you need us, call us. You know what? I even participate in the voting and everything else that goes on for our government. But when I was face down on the floor after having gone through a divorce in my early 20s, I couldn't call the White House and get a special meeting with the president. Can you imagine? Oh, hello. Yes. My life is falling apart. Can I speak to the president, please? <laughs> because obviously our president's going, the first thing he's going to do is hop into Air Force One and come down here to Beach Park and sit in the office with me. My mayor's not coming. My alderman. Some of you have gone through situations. Call your boss at work and see how much time they're going to spend with you talking about that situation. They want to know how much work are you still able to do while you're going through that situation. Is this, is this going to affect your output? <laughs> but yet and still, 
the God of the universe that puts all of those people in their positions, he will stop what he's doing, step down from heaven into your bedroom, and he will comfort you in your times of need because that's the type of God we serve, and that's what the Holy Spirit is for. He says, I will send you a comforter. I will be with you. Not just be with you, I'll be in you. You'll never go through anything by yourself. And in those moments where I was ready to give up on life, I distinctly remember feeling his embrace. I've still called you. I'm still here for you. I have not given up on you. You have me if you have no one else. Your God will visit you even in your mess. Is anybody thankful that God will visit them and they mess today? Come on. I know good and well. I ain't been perfect all my life. And to be honest, y'all ain't been either. <laughs> God will visit you in your mess. Come on. And it's amazing to know that I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to have that type of love. I don't deserve your time. I don't deserve your, your love. I don't deserve your affection. And you still offer it so freely. Such an amazing God, especially when we know we haven't dumped things his way. So God shows up on the scene for Jacob. He knows exactly where he is. He walks right up to him and immediately begins wrestling with him. <laughs> no introduction. How's your day? What's happening in your life? What's going on? Uh-uh. God walks up and immediately puts him in a chokehold. <laughs> Figure for a leg lock, headlock, whatever, and they begin wrestling. What this tells me, though, is that God has zero problem in wrestling with your situation. See, sometimes we think we get into spots that God can't help us or that God doesn't care or this is too little for God or this is I did this to myself. I don't want to have to pray for him to help or fix this. But I'm here to tell you that God will wrestle with you in your situation. Our God is not insecure. Some of us have had bad experiences at churches because you've messed with insecure pastors. You've had bad experiences at work because you messed around with insecure leaders. And see, insecure people are only good for you until it no longer benefits them. See, insecure people will absolutely help you get up off the ground. A selfie, they'll take that picture with you on the floor so they can show everybody what they did for you. But start letting you and the help that they gave you, start letting it help you get ahead of them. Oh, oh, that spout going to get shut off real quick. Because, see, insecure people can't stand to see you get ahead, especially of them. You do not serve an insecure God. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to do well. He says, I wish for you to prosper even as your soul prospers. He wants to bless you. He's not afraid of your questions. Oh, he's not afraid of your questions. God, why is this happening? God, what's going on? God, where are you? Why is this happening in my life? What, is you, what are you going to do about it? What do you want me to do? I don't know where you are. Where are you at? He is not afraid of your questions. You can ask him whatever you want. 
The Bible tells us, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. But some of us are scared to ask. We don't want to go looking, and we definitely don't knock when he brings us to the door. But you serve a God that's willing to wrestle with you in this situation. This God that we serve is an amazing wrestler. He does some of his best work in the ring. Now, I grew up watching WWF. Now, I know it's WWE now. They changed it. See, old school folks that grew up like I did, WWF wrestling. Hulk Hogan. Randy Macho Man Savage. The ultimate warrior. <laughs> Look. The Undertaker, come on. All these folks, wrestling was like just amazing to watch. And you know what really would get me though? There was this person, so I love him. His name was the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart was about 132 pounds soaking wet. Jimmy Hart was not a wrestler. He was a promoter. He was a manager. Jimmy Hart would run his mouth. He, he walked around with a megaphone, just screaming at folks, getting on everybody's last nerve, talking about his wrestler and what his wrestler was going to do to you. If Jimmy ever ended up in the ring, you know something went terribly wrong. Because <laughs> Jimmy was not the wrestler. But his job was to promote the match. And he'll be running around getting folks mad and angry and ready. And before you knew it, you couldn't wait to see the match. So hopefully they shut him up. He was amazing at his job. And when I watch wrestling and I look at what God is doing and saying that he will wrestle with us, he will wrestle for us. This is a God that uses us as his promoters. He says, go run your mouth about me. Tell people about who I am. Get them prepared to see what I'm about to do. Tell them about this wrestling match that we're about to have. See, some of y'all is out here trying to actually wrestle with people. When you're not supposed to be wrestling, you're supposed to be running your mouth. Oh, no, don't argue with people about who God is. I don't need to argue with you. That's his job to wrestle you. I'm not here to wrestle. I'm here to testify. I'm here to tell you what he's able to do. I'm here to tell you how he brought me out. I'm here to tell you about the sickness that I no longer have. I'm here to testify. After I testify, I'm going to get on your last nerves and dare you to get into the ring with him. Because whatever happens in the ring is no longer my concern. My job is not to fight you. My job is not to shut you up or shut you down. My job is to tell you about who he is as a wrestler and get you in the ring with him and let him do the work. God is an amazing wrestler. He will put them in moves and in holds that they will look at you and be like, who is this? Oh, that's my Jesus. I told you he's bad. <laughs> He will pin them down in such a way that they at least have to acknowledge he is real. I've seen God do it. That's how we won so many people in Milwaukee. Folks that knew nothing about God and wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I'm not here to wrestle with you. I'm just here to tell you he's real and he will make himself real to you if you let him. 
I remember a young man decided to put me to the test. Y'all, look, I don't wrestle with people. I dare them to dare God to get in the ring. Pastor Jay, I don't think God real. Okay, cool. So what do you need to figure, what do you need to see for him to prove that he real? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray that sometime this week, God makes himself exponentially real to you. And when it happens, you promise you come back and tell me that you not believe. Because I don't have to wrestle with you. That's his job. And if God don't make himself real to you, that's his fault, not mine. It makes my life really easy. I don't have to fight with people. I tell on God and dare them to fight with him. That young man left me probably laughing like ain't no such thing as no God. He came back the next Wednesday. Pastor Jay, I need to talk to you. (laughs) Oh, do you now? (laughs) Because, see, I've never seen God fail me when I put him to the test like that. You want to know if he real? You going to test him out? Oh, trust me. Taste and see that that brother's good. He came to me like, Pastor Jay, I walk home the same way every day from school, every time. This young man, about 17 years old, would fight anything and anybody at any given time. So he ain't scared of nothing. I walk home the same way every day, every time I go down the same two streets. That's how I go home. No big deal. He said, for whatever reason, as he was walking down the first street, something kept telling him to get off that street. He was like, it was just weird. It was like, he just kept telling me, like, get off the street, get off the street, get off the street. Don't go down, don't go down street number two. And he was like, you know, I don't know, it was just weird. So I just decided to listen to it. I, I didn't go down the normal street that I used to get home. He said that when he went down the side street and got to the end of the block and started crossing back over the street that he would have been on, When he crossed and he looked back up that street, he saw a pack of pit bulls running free. He would have been on that street. The one thing in his life he's scared of is wild dogs. (laughs) That brother said, Pastor Jay, if I hadn't listened, I would have been on that street. I don't know what might have happened to me. I think God just saved me. Oh, and trust me, he wants to save you again. You ready to give him your life now? Come on. We don't have to wrestle with people. Let God wrestle with them. Can't nobody make himself real like he can. This is the God we have who will wrestle with people, and he will bring them to a place where sometimes the pain that they endure is actually utilized for his good. Understand, as God is wrestling with Jacob, he touches his hip and causes him severe pain. Did you know that God doesn't always fight fair? (laughs) Serious. He will wrestle with you. And what we see as being fair is, God, I treat you well, so why are you allowing this stuff to happen to me? God, I serve you, so why would you allow this to happen in my life? God, I give everything I have to you, so why am I struggling in this area? This is not fair. God doesn't fight fair. God has a bigger picture than your fairness. God is trying to win this world and keep people from going to hell. And if allowing you to go through some pain will accomplish more good and allow more people to know who he is, he will allow you to have pain in your life. 
Sometimes the things that you're praying for, he can't even bring it about unless he allows some pain. Jacob has been on the run from his brother Esau for, as far as we know, at least 20 years. He's praying for God to save him. He's praying for God to protect him. But he's also still plotting tricks and still plotting plans so that he, at the end of the day, can still run away. So it's funny to me that in the middle of wrestling where God is coming to Jacob to help him with his problem, Jacob is wrestling with God, asking to be blessed and asking God to take care of him. God injures Jacob's leg and Jacob can no longer run from his problem. God says, oh, you want me to bless you? Quit running. You want to really see my power? Quit hiding. You want to really know if you can depend on me? Quit making plan B's. Matter of fact, I'm going to eliminate all of your plans. I'm going to touch your leg and you're going to have such a severe limp that you will no longer be able to run away from this problem. Now, in your pain, you will have no choice but to depend on me. Now, with your limp, if I don't save you, you cannot save yourself. If I'm going to be glorified, you will receive none of the glory yourself. This will be all me or all nothing. Jacob, hurt, limping, injured, dealing with pain that he didn't realize he was going to have when he first started wrestling with God. And some of you have been wrestling with him, wondering why I'm more pain now than I was seemingly before. But I'm here to tell you that your pain is for your good. He says that all things work together for your good. He didn't say it would always be good to you. Surgery is painful, but it heals a lot of problems. Some pain is necessary to get you to where you want to be. Don't allow pain to drive you away from God's will. Don't allow pain to push you away from what God wants for you. God here, with the pain that Jacob is dealing with, he does the one thing that I commend Jacob for. Jacob says, you know, in spite of my pain, in spite of the things that I'm dealing with, in spite of this wrestling match that I'm having with you, the one thing I'm not going to do is let go of you. The Bible tells us in Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, this wasn't just a wrestling match. It wasn't just two men wrestling and grunting and fighting it out. It says that Jacob was distraught. He was crying. He was weeping. He was begging. He is grabbing a hold of. He is pulling on. He is jerking. You will not let me go until you bless me. It is a cry of desperation. It's someone who's come to the end of their rope. Someone who's ready to give up. Who knows that at this point, if you don't fix it, it will never be fixed. Can I ask you a question, church? If you're in a situation that you know only God can fix, why would you let him go? It never ceases to amaze me how I come across Christians. And God knows, we as Christians, we go through a lot of stuff. If folks believe to get saved, eliminate you from all your problems, I got news for you. <laughs> that is not how this works. I have not seen less problems because I've given my life to Christ. Matter of fact, 
he be telling me to run into the place where the problem's at. I'm like, Jesus, I want to go over there. Why are you calling me over there? Can I go over here? Uh-uh, because we're problem solvers. And we're sent here to solve problems that God wants to solve. So he uses us. So he sends us into the problem. We got to recognize that. So this God who is doing this wrestling and Jacob now says, I'm not going to let you go. And that is the key because church folks will get into a problem and immediately let go of the one person that has the strength to help them. See, my finances are busted, and I know I got bills to pay, and I can't pay them. What sense does it make to let go of the one person that could bless my finances? If my marriage is falling apart, and I know if nothing happens, we're not going to make it, what sense does it make to let go of the one person that could change his or her heart in a snap of a finger? We can go down the list. If I know I'm dying of cancer and I know that eternity is on the other side of my last breath, what sense does it make for me to let go of God now? What sense does that make? To let go of the one person that can help you, the one person that can fix it, the one person that can solve it, the one person that has an answer. Now, I also understand on the backside, that's part of the reason we get mad at him. Jesus, you could fix this. Be angry. Don't sin. Be angry. Get frustrated. Question him. And then hold on to him. Uh-uh, I got questions, but I ain't stupid. I ain't letting you go. Jacob says, I'm not letting you go I, until you bless me, until you give me what I need to have. I'm going to be here. I'm going to wrestle with you. I'm not going to let you go. You're not leaving. I am not going to allow you to leave me in this condition. This is Jacob. No matter what happens, don't let God go. Why? Because our God loves providing new names and new beginnings. It was comical to me again. No introductions. He just walked up and jumped on Jacob. <laughs> just walked up and jumped him. Brother going through a lot. Now he got a fight too? Then he messed bro leg up. Now he can't walk. He mentally hurt. He physically disabled. And after all of this, now he going to look at Jacob and be like, so what's your name? <laughs> Please to meet you. What's your name? The guy who leg you broke. That's my name. But if you notice and even throughout the Bible, God does this where he almost seems to rewind situations and give people an opportunity to answer again. Jacob pulled a trick on his father that got him into this whole mess. And he walked into a room and his father asked him, who are you? And he said, I am Esau, your firstborn. Just lied. No remorse, <laughs> nothing, planned to lie. So here God is, after wrestling with him, after finding out no matter how much I hurt this brother, he really not going to let me go. 
What's your name? And Jacob, maybe for the first time, is totally honest and says, my name is Jacob. Understand what Jacob means. My name is liar. My name is trickster. My name is swindler. He tells him who he is. He tells him where he's at. He acknowledges the reality of Jacob. And it's in that moment, as he's completely honest with God, acknowledging who he is, the stupidity he's done, what his name means, that God says, now I'm giving you a new name. Your name will no longer be liar, trickster, cheater, swindler. You'll no longer be known as that. I'm wiping that past away. What I'm doing is giving you a brand new name. This brand new name is going to be Israel. He who fights with God and man and wins. Do you recognize that everywhere Jacob went, he had to tell people his name? And anybody from the Hebrew time back then would have known, oh, your name means. See, some of y'all got reputations, too. Come on. I love that. I had one. Come on. He does. On time, every time. Every time. Some of y'all had a past too. Some of you used to be liars. You used to be cheaters. You used to be the folks that nobody could trust. You used to be the one with bad self-esteem. You used to be the one that couldn't figure out how to handle life. You used to be the one that was a terrible parent. You used to be the one that nobody can depend on at work. But then God walked into your life and he gave you a brand new name and he gave you a new calling. And here you are standing here giving him the praise, knowing that you are a brand new creature. Somebody needs to give him some praise in here. If you know you brand new, I'm not who I used to be. I don't do the stuff I used to do. I'm not the person everybody used to know. I get together with some of my friends. Sometimes we get on the phone. I went out to eat with one uh, that I went to college with back in 98. Jesus, that was a long time ago. And all he talks about is the stuff I used to do. <laughs> You remember when you used to do that? Yeah, I remember. That was real dumb. I don't do that no more either. <laughs> no, because when Jesus gets a hold of your life, something changes. He blesses you with a new name, a new attitude, a new way of looking at life, new strength, new mercies. He makes things new. I love God for that reason. Who I was isn't who I have to be. Where I came from doesn't dictate where I'm going. I can be anything regardless of what's in my past. Some of you have a past that's haunting you. I'm here to tell you, let it go. Give it to Jesus. Watch him make beautiful things out of the ashes. He can make your life brand new. Guaranteed. I've watched him do this. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
In Romans 12 and 2, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 and 19. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. Jacob, it doesn't matter what your life has been like. I'm doing a new thing. Hey, I don't care how long you've been sick. You've been sick for 25 years. That's cool because I'm doing a new thing. I know that your marriage has been broken and y'all been separated for 15 years. I'm doing a new thing. I've watched God bring people back together. I watched a gentleman who was married for 20 something years, got strung out on drugs, had three different heart attacks, ended up divorced from his wife, was stuck in the VA hospital trying to recover from all this mess that he had gone through. God got a hold of him and did something new in his life. That brother turned his life around. And within the next five years, I was at his wedding where he remarried his former wife. Check this out, how bad God is. His best man was his son. They've been, they been divorced for 20-some years. His son was 30-some years old. Now standing at the side as the best man. Don't tell me what God won't do. Just because it's over for you, <laughs> that probably means it's just starting for him. Give him an opportunity to make your life new. I don't know if it's anybody in here. Is it somebody here that says, Pastor Jay, I need, some, I need something new in my life. I have a situation I'm dealing with that I need God to rename this. This thing is giving me some problems. I've got some, some issues. I've got some sickness in my body. I've got some things happening in my family that I need God to make new. I love it. This is what God is here for. This is what he does. He finds you in your isolation or your seclusion. He comes and visits you right where you are. Can I tell you something, church? You do not have to be perfect for God to use you. If God was waiting on perfect people to do something on earth, he would get nothing done. Because ain't nine man, one of us perfect. <laughs> no, we all got problems. We all got issues. And the minute I fix one, I find a new one. It's life. He doesn't need my perfection. He needs my yes. Are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to do what he's asked you to do? Are you willing to eliminate your plan B? Are you willing to depend on him wholeheartedly? Because that God who will find you right where you are, who will visit you in your home, who will visit you in your car, who will visit you wherever you are, and then will wrestle with you. No problem too big. No question too small. He loves you. You can't ask him enough questions to irritate him. Not to the point of him giving up on you. So ask. Wrestle. Understand that faith is about aligning my actions with what I believe God said. God, look, I don't feel it. 
you know I don't even see it. I've got zero proof that this is going to happen. And God says, but do you trust me? And if you trust him, then align your actions to what you believe will be the outcome. He told Noah, build a boat. Noah never even seen a boat. He gave him the blueprint of how to build it. Noah, by faith, began building a boat. His faith didn't see rain. His faith didn't see a flood. His faith just said, God said, I'm going to need a boat. And this space between me being told and me needing this boat, this is where faith lives. Amen. Don't lose your faith in that space. Amen. He told Abraham, start walking. Every place your footsteps, I will give you them. What would have been helpful is if God just planted flags wherever Abraham went, like this is yours, this is yours, this is yours. And Abraham had a seed. You know, if the land just turned green like on a video game, every time he walked through certain areas, that means it's mine. That ain't what God did. So by faith, Abraham just began walking. Will your actions align to your faith? Will you do the things that show that you believe what he said? I'm challenging you, church. Let's line up with God's word. Whatever he has told you, he will bring it to pass. Line up your actions with it. Who cares? Don't nobody else believe you. <laughs> you don't need nobody else to believe. You believe. God says, I use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I'm foolish enough to believe him. <laughs> Use me. <laughs> confuse some people, Jesus. Most confused right now. How he got a church? Look, I don't even know. <laughs> Zero clue. He talked crazy. I do. Foolish. Confusing wise folks. That's what Jesus do. And he wants to do that for all of us. I want to invite everybody to stand up on your feet. For those that are part of our prayer team, can you come down? Church, I want to invite you, if you have things that are going on in your life that you know you need God to make new, that you know you need some help in, that you need some additional strength, come down and get prayed for today. This altar is a place of meeting between you and God. It's where commitments are made. It's where we memorialize things. It's where you lay yourself as the sacrifice. That's really what an altar is. Jesus, I'm sacrificing myself for your will. I'm willing to let go of these things so that I can have what you want. I want to invite you. Come down. Get prayed for. Have somebody just pray along with you. Even if you don't tell them what all you're going through. They don't need to know all your business. That's fine. Hey, just pray for me. I need some strength right now. I need God to do some new things in my life. And if anybody in this room says that new thing needs to be me, Pastor Jay, I, I want to be made brand new. Any of us here would love to introduce you to Jesus Christ. You can give your life to him today. Would love to do that. Remember who God is. Don't let him go even when everything around you is saying that you should.